You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. Got a great word today as we launch into our marriage and family series. You're going to love this message. This message is called Mystery Revealed. Mystery Revealed. I know it's going to sound a little bit audacious and almost coming across like, man, he's pretty bold trying to say that. But let's read in Ephesians chapter 5, and you'll get it, why I'm saying mystery revealed. It says here in Ephesians 5 verse 22, Wives, submit to your husbands. Scripture that every husband loves. Wives, maybe not so much. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be subject to their own husbands. Now, the scripture doesn't finish there. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives. You'll find a husband that loves his wife will have very, very little issues with submission. You'll find a husband who is not loving his wife properly will always struggle with submission, but I'm uh, getting ahead of myself, so let's keep reading. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the word that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Verse 32, this is one where I want to land on. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Let me pray. We're going to get into this word. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word today. Lord, I thank you for marriages. I thank you for family. I thank you for breakthroughs. I thank you, Lord God, that as we unpackage the truths, in the scriptures that lives are going to be radically transformed right here today in Jesus' name. Amen. Everyone said? Amen. God bless you. Well, let me just give you a couple of quick thoughts. The first one, the first one that is so important is that you need to understand is that here the Bible says that this mystery, it is a mystery, this man, woman, husband, wife, family, marriage dynamic, it is a mystery but the mystery is revealed concerning Christ and the church. You and I have an advantage as born again believers, as Christians, as people that understand the interplay, the, the dynamics, the principles of the church, Christ, the bride, the groom, heaven, earth, this, this interplay between God and man, between Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our submission to Him, what we expect from Him and what He in turn expects from us is going to help you to unpackage the mystery of marriage. You'll find that sadly, marriage is at a uh, divorce, excuse me, is at an all-time high. Well, I got to tell you, when that creeps into the church, it's because of the church's ignorance of biblical truth or the church's inability 
to preach biblical truth. So today I wanna to begin to unpackage that and I wanna tell you, it doesn't have to be frustrating, it doesn't have to be mysterious. You know, I, I heard of a story recently where there was a, um, a brand new department store in New York City, just down from Times Square that was selling husbands. That's it, you heard it right, selling husbands. Well, all these ladies got together and like, man, I'm gonna get me a husband. And anyway, uh, when they got to the store, there was, a, there was a sign down the bottom and basically it said, you know, here's the rules. At every floor, and there are six floors, at every floor, there are husbands for sale. But once you go to the next floor, so first floor, second floor, third floor, once you go to the next floor, you're not allowed to go back to the previous floor. So if you, do, if you like what's on the first floor, but you're thinking maybe there's something on the second floor, once you get to the second floor, you can't go back and change your mind, it's, it's done. So on the very first floor, this lady walks in, she sees on the first floor, the sign reads, these husbands have jobs and love the Lord. Have jobs and love the Lord. And man, she's like, wow, that's fantastic. But then curiosity gets the better and thinks, well, I'm only on the first floor, there's another five floors. I wonder what's on the second floor. So she climbs up to the second floor, takes the escalator up. When she gets there, the sign reads, these husbands love their wives, love the Lord and have jobs. So that she's like, wow, love their wives, love the Lord, love, you have jobs, how can it get any better? But she's thinking, hang on, I'm only on the second floor. There's still another four floors. I'm gonna take the escalator. So she goes up the third floor. Third floor, it says these husbands not only have jobs and love the Lord and love their wives, but they're pretty good looking. So she's like, oh, jackpot, good looking husband, loves me, loves the Lord, has a job, hello. But she's thinking it's the third floor. I'm only halfway there. I wonder what's on the fourth floor. So she goes up to the fourth floor. Fourth floor, it says not only do these husbands here have jobs and love the Lord and love their wives, but these guys are drop dead gorgeous. I mean, drop dead good looking. So she's like, wow. I mean, they were good looking down here. These guys, hello. But she's thinking, you know, it's the fourth floor. I wonder what's on the fifth floor. So she takes the escalator up to the fifth floor. Fifth floor sign reads, welcome to the fifth floor. On this floor, these men love the Lord, have jobs, love their wives, are ridiculously good looking and love kids. They love kids. She's like, OMG, this is, wow. But there's a sixth floor. There's a sixth floor. So she gets in the escalator and comes up to the sixth floor. When she gets to the sixth floor, it says, welcome. You are visitor number 3,467,981. And you are living proof that it is impossible to please a woman. Anyway, I digress. So let me just say this, that it doesn't have to be a mystery. It doesn't have to be a mystery, this interplay, this relationship between a husband and wife. So let me give you four quick points. Number one, celebrate diversity. Celebrate diversity. You need to understand that absolutely opposites attract, but if you don't manage it right, opposites won't just attract, they will begin to attack. And we don't want attack in marriage. 
Absolutely, you were created for battle. You were created for warfare. You were created to fight the good fight of faith. But rather than fighting one another, we're meant to do this, turn, and we're meant to be fighting together against an enemy. Paul said, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against thrones and dominions, against spiritual hosts in of wickedness in heavenly places. So we do have a warfare, but but the enemy would like to get us fighting within because he knows that a house divided cannot stand. So we need to become unified in what we fight. And one of the greatest things is to understand that 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 God put two opposites together, the way a man thinks and the way a woman thinks. This is this is incredibly important. You got to celebrate the fact that he doesn't think like her and she doesn't think like him. And I would say that the, the, the great test of marriage and the great challenge of marriage is me learning to not interpret my wife through my lens, but for me to get out of myself, put myself in my wife's shoes and interpret my actions through her lens. Likewise, 28 years of marriage this year for Leanne and I, for Leanne to process things, not the way that she perceives them, but to see to see how I may respond to her the way that I perceive it is the great learning curve and the great blessing in marriage. If you can understand that when God made Adam, God made Adam in a wilderness. The Bible says that God made Adam from the dust of the ground and then <sighs> breathe into Adam's nostrils <gasps> the breath of life. Adam becomes a living being. Then God takes him from the wilderness and places him in a paradisical garden called Eden. It was in Eden, a place of order, a place of perfection, a place of structure, a place of exquisite beauty, fragrance, colors, life, the most amazing exotic birds and different fruits and the, the fragrances coming up from all the different orchids and flowers and the botany and the, it must have been so exquisite and was perfectly ordered. This was a garden the Lord planted. Eve was created from Adam's side in that environment. So a woman loves order, a woman loves neat, a woman loves beauty. She loves fragrance, she loves pretty, she loves order. So a man will buy a house, but a woman will convert it into a home. She'll fill it and make sure that it is livable and there is order in that home. And there's always this tension, but if, if a husband can begin to celebrate, a man may, may provide the groceries, but a woman will turn those into the most amazing meal for the entire family to enjoy. It's this beautiful interplay and you've got to learn to celebrate diversity. Man was created in a wilderness and then placed in a garden. When God created him in the wilderness, the Bible says God put him in the garden to tend and to keep the garden, which means that when man was created, man was created missional. But God looked down and said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. God brought all the animals to Adam to see what he would call them, but there wasn't a helper found amongst them. So God caused Adam to fall into a deep sleep. And while Adam slept, God took a rib out of his side and fashioned the woman. God didn't, I want you to notice, God didn't just bring a woman out of the dust. He brought the animals by pair out of the dust. The penguins out of the dust. The, the emus out of the dust. The giraffes out of the dust. The elephants out of the dust. The dogs out of the dust. The cats out of, but not with man. Man came out of the dust, but God didn't bring a woman out of the dust. In the animal kingdom, they may mate and then part, but God said, not so with man and a woman. 
It's an incredible mystery. I will bring from within him. I will bring from part of him to rejoin to him that the two shall be one for life. And so God causes Adam to fall into a deep sleep and there he pulls out a rib, fashions it into a woman. And then when she comes to Adam, Adam looks at her and says, this is now flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. She shall be called womb man, for she was taken out of man. Later, Adam calls the name of his wife Eve uh, because she would become the mother of all the living. The first woman came out of man. Ever since then, every human being to walk and breathe on this earth came out of a woman. It's an amazing thing. But it's interesting that the woman was created from Adam's side and she was created with no other intention but companionship. So while men are driven missionally, women are driven, driven relationally. A woman speaks or needs to speak about 3,000 words a day. A man will go to work, he'll go about his business, he'll chase down that contract, he'll score that deal, and then he'll come home and he is done as far as conversation. He feels like he's, he's accomplished the mission. He comes home, he wants to disconnect. But the wife, she's like, oh my gosh, how was your day? What happened? How's Bob? How's, how's Trudy? And she wants to go through all these questions and he just, yep, okay, just grunting away. And that's quite often where there's tension because he was created mission, she was created relation. She has 3,000 words she needs to get out. And so she's gonna ask and she's gonna ask. And so husbands, it's really important that you understand that your wife was created relationally, not just missionally. That's awesome that you got a raise and that's awesome that you got a bonus. But unless you can translate that to a relational experience, something tangible that she can experience relationally, whether, hey baby, we're going out to celebrate. I've I got that contract, so I've hired a babysitter and you and me, we're gonna go out, put on your best dress. I'm sending you down to get your hair blow waved at, at 4.30, five o'clock, I'm picking you up. We're going to the best restaurant in town. Uh, get ready, get ready, get ready. You're gonna find that that is a husband and that is a marriage that's gonna be flourishing because he understands that in his mission or he's gotta be relational. And so there's this beautiful interplay between relationship and, and mission. Now you will say, well, hang on, I don't understand. Why didn't God just make them, you know, like similar? Well, let me just say this. Uh, the word tension, which applies to a lot of marriages. Well, there's tension in our marriage. We're always fighting. We can't seem to agree on anything. He's spontaneous and, and she's methodical or he's, you know, like uh, throw caution to the wind and she's, you know, kind of controlled by fear and, and he's a night person, she's a morning person or whatever. And there's this opposite thing. You need to understand that's the thing called tension. Tension is actually what holds up and supports every bridge across water. Every bridge that goes across water has one thing in common. They use high tensile steel cables to go through the concrete to hold that bridge up in case there's an earthquake or strong winds. When you're pitching a tent, if you just pitch it loosely, that tent's gonna f get knocked over, get blown away. But you'll find that you've gotta get this rope and this rope incredibly taut on both sides, incredibly taut so that there's tension. Tension is literally two forces pulling in opposite directions, but it's in the tension that strength is found. So even if you're 
courting and going, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, we've got so many things in common. We both like romantic novels. We both like strolls along the beach. We both like the same sitcoms and we both like the same foods and we both like the, oh my God. And, and absolutely, they're wonderful things. But you will find as soon as you get married, the Holy Ghost, God himself, will begin to work in your marriage to, to bring you into places where you're opposites. Why? Because if both of you are spontaneous, dear Jesus, you're going to have no money. You're going to end up bankrupt and your car, you know, taken away and uh, you know, repossessed and foreclosure on your home. You need one person to be a risk taker and somebody else to be methodical and accountant and, and responsible. You need somebody to be a night person, somebody to be a morning person. You need somebody to be full of faith and other somebody else to be saying, hang on, let's just see what wisdom says. You, you need this balance. And you will find that in that diversity, in that tension, in those two opposites, you've got a whole gamut, you've got a whole range of choices that you'll always find that you arrive at a place where that wisdom would say, hey, let's step out, but let's make sure that we got a plan B. Hey, let's do this, but let's make sure that we don't, you know, sell ourselves short. And so you'll find there's always this beautiful dynamic at play. So even if you're not opposites, you got to get used to being opposite. You got to get used to tension. And the way to do that is celebrate diversity. Thank God she is not like you. Thank God he is not like her. So that's number one. Number two, the second one is there's a power and a price of submission. There's a power and a price of submission. Submission is unbelievably powerful. There's a story where in the New Testament, a centurion comes to Jesus and uh, the centurion says, hey, listen, my servant is at home sick and uh, he's really not doing well. The doctors have given up. It looks like he could die. Please, would you pray for him? Jesus said, you know what? I'll come to your house and pray for him. And the guy says, oh, no, no, no. Like you, I too am a man in submission. Like you, I too am a man under authority. Because I'm under authority, I can say to this one, go, and he goes. To this one, come, and he comes. Just speak the word, and my servant will be healed. Jesus was blown away. He says, man, not in all Israel have I seen such great faith as this. This is incredible. Jesus was expounding and amazed that here a Roman centurion understood the power of submission. Every husband that laments tension in the home or frustration in the home says, if only my wife would submit, if only my wife would submit. Now you can get her to submit by absolutely beating her down and breaking her down like we see in the Islamic religion in the Middle East where, where women are dressed in burqas, they have to walk six feet behind the man and they're just completely shut down, they're just chattel. But you know what that is? That is actually a masking and a destroying of the power of the woman. And that is not biblical. That's not what Jesus taught. That's not what Jesus modeled. Jesus was a liberator of women. But you'll say, yeah, but you know what? She's lippy. She's got her own opinions. Man, she's crazy. If I give her my credit card in the store, so help me God. I mean, so you, hang on, just, just listen to me. So I had, a, I had a, a gentleman come to me many years ago and he wanted to take me for coffee. And then he said to me, hey, pastor, uh, this is what I want you to do for me. I want you to tell my wife what the Bible says about submission, because, you know, right now we're separated. And right now, you know, she doesn't want to come back. And, and we got married and she's not. And so she's in rebellion, pastor. And I need you to tell her. 
Immediately I recognized, man, something is jacked up here. This guy was a good looking guy, was a uh, uh, former Marine and you know, was very, very fit. And uh, so I'm thinking, okay, well, it's not because you're ugly that she's not with you. But as I began to just kind of press a little bit deeper, I began to realize why she didn't want to be with him. He was an absolute misogynistic jack wagon who was a manipulator and an abuser and then wanted her to come live with him again and him not change, but her submit to the scriptures. And so he knew he had no authority with her. So he asked if he could borrow my authority or, or purchase my authority or manipulate my authority to tell his wife that she ought to, according to the scriptures, go and submit to her husband. So I told him in uh, uh, no less words that I was not gonna do such a thing uh, to which he threatened to beat the living snot out of me. And, and I still refused to do it. And didn't get a beating, but I gave him a number of reasons why. The first thing that I told him is that for a woman to be in submission, sub means under. For her to be in submission means you as a husband have to have a mission. Now you may say, well, I do have a mission. I want to, you know, change Africa for Jesus. I want to be the, the wealthiest guy this side of Madagascar. And that is awesome. But unless she can see herself, and that's your job, Mr. Mission, person, you're the vision caster and the mission sharer of your family. If she cannot see herself figuring prominently and being a beneficiary of the mission, she will struggle to submit. But when you present your mission for your life and that she is prominent and that she is significant and she is highly elevated and valued. And she is the first recipient of this vision, of this dream, of this mission, of this assignment on your life. You will find that you'll have no problem having her come into submission to that mission. It is so imperative in my life. What I found is that when I can bring my, my mission around to, to showing my wife that these things are gonna benefit her and that I'm thinking about her, I'm thinking about our children, I'm thinking about our future, I'm thinking about, I found that I've had very, very little problems with my wife being insubordinate. In fact, let me just say to you, my wife is unbelievably strong, sometimes too strong and frustratingly strong at times, but you know what? What I found is it's not that I need to dull down her strength, it's I need to step up my lead. She has challenged me and forced me to step up my lead and make sure that I'm communicating the mission so clearly that she's not lost in the mission. Do you know, some, sadly, so many wives feel like the, the, their husband's business is the mistress their husband's business or their husband's occupation, that, that he's jet setting around the world trying to be, you know, a, a Forbes 100, Forbes top 10 business, you know, business success, weekly front page cover, man, lion, you know, golly gee, don't, don't be, let her be in that. Always include her, always make sure that she figures prominently and she'll easily submit. Number three is uh, there's a power in biblical leadership. Biblical leadership. Biblical leadership we see here in Ephesians 5.25. 
when it says, you know, uh, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church, laying down his life for her. And then it says this, it says washing her in the water of the word of God. Washing her in the water of the word of God. So that's a whole different dynamic. Because every time I've read about the word of God in Ephesians or in the Bible, it says that the word of God is the sword of the spirit. It is for warfare that we take on the devil using the word of God. Devil, it is written. Devil, it is written. Taking up the, the, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And so the word is a sword when it comes to the enemy, but it is not a sword when it comes to your wife. Sadly, so many husbands will preach the word at their wife and use it as a sword to cut them down. Well, woman, the Bible says, and, and you ought to know the Bible says, and you're out of order, woman, and you're out of, and they use the, 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 the word as a sword. Here, Paul is very specific. He says, husbands, love your wives the way that Christ loved the church. And the way that he loved the church is he washes her in the water of the word of God. Jesus in John 15, three says, you are already clean because of the word that I've spoken to her. Let me tell you, if you're a husband and you say, well, you know, my wife, she's the spiritual one. I'm, I'm the breadwinner, I'm the hunter and gatherer. I'm out there just making ends. I ain't got time to read the Bible. You're a fool. You're a knucklehead. You right now are basically disabling and diminishing your ability to lead your bride. It is, it is a disadvantage for you not to know the Word of God. It is an advantage for you to know what the Bible says because your job, man of God, is to be a king and a priest. You're to be a king, absolutely go and conquer territories and get contracts and influence the marketplace and change culture, knock yourself out. But you're also called to be a priest in your home and your first ministry is your bride. Your first ministry is your wife and your family. And so you need to know what the scriptures say. So I don't care if you're a business guy and you leave the home at 5 a.m., play the Bible on tape in car or play it, you know, over your loudspeakers in your car, put it in your earbuds when you're at the gym or when you're on a treadmill, get the Word of God in you so that you can get it out of you because through the Word of God, you wash your, your, your bride with the water of the Word. My wife, every woman is insecure. When Adam and Eve sinned, the Bible says God spoke to Eve and he said, your desire will be for your husband, Eve, so that he should rule over you. So a woman is always insecure. A woman has cycles. Every 28 days, she goes through a cycle. So you may have told her last month, she's the most beautiful woman in the world. You may have taken her on the most amazing romantic date last month. You may have bought her the biggest bouquet of flowers last month. That was last month. She went through a cycle. Her whole body's cleaned out and reset. What about this month? That's right, you gotta do it every month. In fact, I'm at a place now where I feel like I gotta do it every week. But you know what? It's, it's a wonderful price to pay because the dividends on the other side are amazing. I have a great marriage. I want you to have a great marriage and a great family, it begins there. And so you need to understand that there is a, there is a price to, and to submission, but there's also biblical leadership. So what I found is that my wife was insecure. She was continually asking, am I beautiful? What do you think of me? You know, do you think I can do this? And I found that my job was to take the word of God and say, baby, you know what? God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but one of love, power, and a sound mind. Honey, that's not, that's not the case. You don't need to, to be worried. You have the mind of Christ. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. My job was to take the word of God and begin to 
to wash away her fears, begin to wash away her anxieties, wash away her insecurities, wash away her inhibitions. Use the Word of God to build her up, to wash her. You know, we all come into marriage with baggage. I tell everybody that, you know, uh, marriage is a lot like flying on an airline. The airline knows in the manifest that you're coming. But the first question they ask when you pull up to the counter is, how many baggage you, you guys bring in? They want to know how much baggage you're going to bring. Well, we know we're getting married. We just don't know how much baggage our spouses bring in. And before we start pointing out the baggage in our spouse's eye, better have a look at the baggage that you brought in because we've all brought our baggage. And so it is so important that you understand that the Word of God is there to help us process our baggage so that we can have the very, very best marriage. And the last one, number four, is the power of names. You know, there's a saying, sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Probably the biggest lie. Second biggest lie to uh, God knows the day that you eat of it, you'll, you won't die, but you'll be just like God. Second biggest lie is sticks and stones break my bones, but names will never hurt me. God brought all the animals to Adam to see what Adam would call them. Whatever he called them, that's what they became. When God brought Eve to Adam, Adam said, oh my gosh, she is flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. She shall be called womb man, for she was taken out of man. It's interesting when you look at the Hebrew there, she was called womb man because she came out of him. She, she was brought out of him. Did Adam even realize he was prophesying? Was he prophesying or discerning? We don't know. But literally he said, she shall be called womb man, for she was taken out of man. Did he, as he spoke, create the womb in her so that she would be the one that brings forth from that time forward. Adam had no idea. He'd only just met. He didn't know all the intricacies or the biology, but his words had shaping power. This is what I've discovered in my life, that, that my wife will become the words that I speak over her. What do you call your wife? Do you call her stupid? Do you call her rebellious? Do you call her such a frustration? Oh my gosh, you drive me nuts. Do you call her nag? Do you call her? What do you call her? She will become what you call her. Many years ago, Leanne and I were, were at a crossroads. We'd only been married a few years and we were fighting all the time. And I really felt God challenged me in this area. And he said, you know, you want a princess, but you call her the exact opposite. You want beautiful, but you call her the exact opposite. You want submitted, but you call her rebellious. You, you, you want this, but you call her that. You, you, you're a fool. You cannot sow bitter seed and reap a sweet harvest. God is not mocked, Galatians 6, 7. Whatever a man soweth, that he shall also reap. You can't sow negativity. You can't sow belittling and reap a great harvest. It doesn't work that way. The seed of your life are the words of your mouth. Sow into the field, sow into your bride. Do you know the word husband comes from the old English husbandry, which means a farmer taking care of fields, land or a field, putting seed in that, bringing forth out of that. Midwifery is, is the, the, the assisting in bringing forth the fruit of the womb. So a man is a husband, he has seed, the woman is the field that receives the seed and brings forth fruit. Well, you need to understand as it is in the physical, it also is in the verbal 
and in the spiritual. She will become what you call her. I honestly believe even today with our church here in San Diego that God said to me many years ago, I'm watching the way you treat your bride to see how much influence I give you over my bride, the church. I'm watching how you treat your Leanne. And I've got to be honest, every time I went to a new level in the way that I loved and the way that I led Leanne, I found greater doors of influence began to open over my church. You'll find that your job is you learn to love her as you learn to lead her. In fact, I honestly believe that marriage is a man in training, and we never graduate, learning to love his wife, learning to lead her gently, delicately, but at the same time with courage and with strength, with, with valor and virtue. And as he does that, you will find that he begins to care, he begins to protect, he begins to provide, and in that, the love of a woman on a man. Let me just say this, my wife does not open the door, I open the door for her. My wife doesn't pull the chair and sit down, I pull the chair and sit down. I take my wife on date nights and I pick up the check and I look after all of that. Well, well what are you saying, that, that she can't do those things? She can't open her own door? She can't pull her own chair? She can't pay her own bill? Oh, absolutely. She can pay her own way. She can buy her own gifts. She can pull her own chair. She can open her own door. She doesn't need me to do that. She doesn't need me to do that. I need me to do that. There's something about the conditioning for me when I open the door, it says this is how she ought to be treated and I want her to know that I know that I need to open the door for her. She knows she can pull her own chair, but I walk around, I don't sit down till she sits down and I pull the chair, she sits, I push the chair and then I sit down. We can sit down at the same time. Come on, man, that's just so stupid. No, no, it's for me, it's training and it's a reinforcing of honor. I don't do it because she needs it, I do it because I need it. I need to take her out on a date. I need to be thoughtful. I need to make sure that I'm paying. I need to make sure that I'm looking after her. And you will find that when you begin to do that, it puts a difference. In fact, I honestly believe that a man never becomes fully developed, never becomes all that he is until he learns to properly love a woman. Anyway, that's the end of this message. Go ahead, why don't you give God a great praise right now? Come on, let's just give Him a praise. Come on, if you received that, if you heard something today that's gonna help you, give Him a praise. If you wanna hurt me, give Him a praise anyway, because it's not me, it's the truth. Before the truth liberates, it penetrates. And uh, you just heard something good there. Come on, thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you. Let me just pray for you. Father, I thank you right now for the presence of God and the power of God. We know that marriage is under attack. The devil hates marriage because it, it so closely resembles the relationship of Christ and the church here on earth. And so the devil knows if he can fracture that, he can shatter the perceptions or shatter the, the understanding of what it is for the church and Christ to have interaction and interplay. So Father, we pray for marriages. I pray for those who are on the brink of divorce or talking separation or continually finding that have no peace in their home, that today these words would be the catalyst to a change, the catalyst to things shifting. Lord, I also pray right now, Lord God, that your hand would be upon every person. You know, if you're here today, and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. Friend, today's your day. Maybe you once walked with Christ, but you slipped away, turned away, ran away, fell away. Friend, it's time for you to come back. Or maybe you're here and you kind of grew up with religion 
And that's not a bad thing. Religion always has some positive elements, but I need you to understand Jesus didn't die on a cross to start a religion. Jesus died on a cross to repair a broken and severed relationship and connection. Sin separated us from God. So Jesus came to reconnect us to God and to each other. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.